Hi guys, would you turn to John chapter 4 and put your finger there? We'll get there in a few minutes. Okay, great. Um, okay, what we're going to do today is this. I know that usually we're quite nice to our missionaries that come back, but you know we'll make an exception for that today. So what I want us to talk about is this. Um, what do we expect of our missionaries? Now, you guys are representing us out in East Timor and Indonesia and these places, and I think it's fair that at least once in a while, when you guys come back, we're able to thick on you a bit and let you know, you know, this is what we expect. This is what you're supposed to do. Um, and so that's the question. Now, I'm not going to assume that just because you're missionaries, you're going to be doing the missions kind of right stuff, because we, we both know there are people out there who have kind of lost their way or kind of running around in circles on the mission field without necessarily doing anything. And so we'll set the bar quite low, right? So these are the kind of things that we'd expect them to do. One is... Don't, don't stop sharing the gospel, as you guys already are. Don't decide that it's easier to do other things and take care of your needs and just kind of let this slide. Second thing is don't share a distorted gospel. Don't decide that it's, the gospel itself is difficult, it's too demanding. So it's easier to share a truncated, a shortened version, an easier version of the gospel that doesn't demand discipleship and hope that by that way you can get lots of conversions. Don't do that. And third thing is don't live contrary to the gospel. Don't decide that you're going to say one thing with your mouth and then unsay it with the rest of your life in terms of your own lack of attention to personal holiness or, or disregard for issues of justice and the needs of the people around you. So don't do that. And if you guys did that, the, 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 I think we would, we would kind of argue that the underlying reason behind it, the reason why you would do any of these kind of things is basically this, that you'd forget that you're in the mission field. And when you've lost sight of that, it's easier to, you know, let all of the specific imperatives go. And so, if you guys were in danger of doing this or kind of going this way, then I think that us as a church, we'd tell you guys, you know, don't forget you're in the mission field. And the text that we would want to to press into your, into your memory is this, is John chapter 4. And so, we're going to look at that for a minute now. Now, um, this is a familiar text, is it not? This is the one about the Good Samaritan, no, not the Good Samaritan, the woman at the well at Samaria that Jesus speaks to. Uh, but how is this a missions-related text? Now, I'm going to argue that there are three reasons why we can legitimately consider this a missions-related text. And that's to do with the Gospel of John as a whole. That's to do with the beginning of this particular story and the end of this particular story. So let me tell you what I mean by this. The Gospel of John as a whole has got a thoroughgoing interest with the idea of belief, of bringing people to belief. Let me show you what I mean by this. Uh, you don't need to turn with me, but I'm going to read from John chapter 20. There are a total of 21 chapters in John, so this is the second last chapter where John is kind of tying up a couple of loose ends. And this is John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, in this book, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There's this concern with belief, belief. In fact, the word belief occurs in the Gospel of John 99 times, far more than it does in the other Gospels. Now, if you look a little bit further up at uh, John chapter 20, and this is um, the Great Commission according to John. This is Jesus after his resurrection as he tells his disciples. Jesus said to them again, verse 21, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so 
I am sending you. That's the words that were taken in, uh, that from which the song that we sang earlier was taken. So not only is the, is the Gospel of John concerned with Jesus coming to bring people into belief, it's also concerned about Jesus sending his disciples in the same way that he was sent to bring belief. And so that's the first big concern of John in the whole Gospel of John about belief. Now, second reason why I think this particular text in John chapter 4 is, is talking about missions. Well, let's go to the beginning now of uh, the Gospel of John. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, you see something about the world, a concern with the world as a whole, and yet it's not really fulfilled. And what I mean by that is this. In John chapter 1, Jesus is presented as the Word of God through whom God created the whole world. In John chapter 1, when John the Baptist comes up and says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And our favorite verse, John 3.16, right? Why did Jesus come? God sent him because God loves the whole world. And so there's this repeated interest in the whole world in John chapter 1, 2, and 3. And yet, when you look at actually what Jesus does, he's not going to the whole world. He's just ministering in Galilee and in Judea, and he's ministering to the Jews. So you see him calling his disciples. You see him uh, speaking with John the Baptist's disciples. You see him speaking to Nicodemus and the Pharisees in Jerusalem. But all of these are Jews. And now here, for the first time in John chapter 4, you've got Jesus crossing that ethnic boundary in order to bring Samaritans into belief as well. And so here you've got that movement out into a different ethnic field. And if that's not missions, you know, I, I don't know what would be. Third reason why I think we can think of this text as related to missions is the last bit of this text. Here again, I'm going to read from um, verse 41 and um, 41. And many more believed because of his word. Many more Samaritans believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So here, again, you've got the interest in Jesus' saving work in the world. So for these reasons, I think we can look at this text and think about it legitimately as a missions-related text. Now, the text as a whole from, uh, from verse 1 until 42, uh, we can kind of divide it into three big parts. The first big part is from verse 1 to 26, where you've got the exchange between Jesus and the woman at the well. And then the second big part is where the, uh, Jesus' disciples come back and talk to him about what he has just done with the woman at the well. And the third big part is the uh, conclusion. Now, for today, we're just going to focus on that second part where Jesus is talking to the disciples. So I'm going to read this out. This is from the ESV version, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So this is the crux. This is the central message of Jesus' evangelism, his mission to the Samaritans, bringing them to believe that he is the Christ. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with this woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or, or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who has told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering the fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples in this exchange with them is this. Because all this while in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Jesus and his disciples have been ministering in Galilee, up the red area over there, and down in Judea, specifically in Jerusalem, the green area over here. And now at the beginning of chapter 4, they're just kind of passing back up to Galilee, just passing through Samaria, the, uh, the purple bit. And so as they're going, it seems like the, what the disciples have in mind is, ah, finally, you know, um, we're kind of off duty now. We've been doing our ministry with Jesus, bringing people to belief in Galilee. We've been doing our ministry, bringing people to belief in Judea. But now we're just kind of passing through on the way back up, and we're off duty. So now's the time that we can rest, we can attend to our own needs, we can do what we need to do. And once we get back into the mission field, you know, we'll, we'll get back into character again. But what Jesus tells them is, nope, that's not how this works. Because, because food is good, but that's not my priority. Because rest is good, but that's not my priority. My priority, my food, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And in John's language, that's to bring people into belief that Jesus is the Messiah. This is Jesus' priority, no matter where he is. Do you not say, yet there are four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Right now, in Samaria, even though you're just passing through, around you are those who have not yet come to belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And as long as you're surrounded by people who have not yet come into belief, you're not off duty. You are in the mission field. And that's the message of Jesus to his disciples in this exchange. And if that's true, if the message of Jesus to the disciples lift up your eyes and see that if you're among non-believers, you are in the mission field, you're not off duty, then that would be the same message that we would give our missionaries, um, when they go into the mission field and when they think they're just passing through. Because don't forget this, remember this, and, and live like this. That's what we'd ask of you. And kind of as a gesture to kind of show that we as a church, as a whole, kind of basically broadly agree with this, if you'd agree with saying this to our missionaries, would you just kind of raise your hand so that they can kind of see? Great. I think we've met our quorum. We've got probably more, like probably about 80% here. So, you know, we as, you know, the YA congregation hereby give you this commission. Okay, amen. Right. I've got two hands over there. No, you're just yawning. All right. So, um, now, if that is what we're going to say to them, then that raises a question for us. And the question is this. Um, how are things different 
here in Singapore. Here are pie charts showing the proportion of evangelical Christians, believers, in four countries where we have got missions. The countries are East Timor, Indonesia, China, and one of them is Singapore. Um, which one is Singapore? Any guesses? It's not the one with 6.25% believers. That's China. We're over here. Now, if this is true, and what we've told our missionaries earlier is that as long as you're among non-believers, you're in the mission field, we can't escape the implication that what that means is that you and I now here are in just as much a mission field as the workers that we have in China or in East Timor or in Indonesia. We didn't choose to be here, but that doesn't matter. God put you here. You're in the mission field. And if that's so, what do we ask of our selves? Not just what we ask of our missionaries. must be the same thing, that we lift up our eyes and see that as long as we're among non-believers, just like the disciples passing through Samaria, just like the missionaries that we send to East Timor, Indonesia, we are to live and act as if we're in the mission field. And what does that mean? Same thing. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't share something that's a different, easier version of the gospel. Don't decide that you can share the gospel, tell people that Jesus is everything, that Jesus is the Messiah, and then go out and live in a way that demonstrates conclusively that that's not true of you. Go out and live in a way that says that your own personal holiness doesn't matter so much. Live in a way that says you're the people around you who are in need, justice within our country, all of these things don't matter. Don't live in a way that contradicts the gospel. What does that look like? You know, if we really believe this and we really lived like this, um, what, what do you imagine that would look like? I, I imagine it would look like this. I imagine it would look like each person in our place of work, in our place of study, the people that we come across would be able to share the gospel, the full gospel, with them. Wisely, sensitively, knowing that they are people with other beliefs and we need to understand them and respect them, and yet sharing the gospel faithfully within these circumstances. It would look like in our homes, the foreign domestic workers, the maids, the migrant workers that we meet in the streets who build your roads and your houses, that we treat them with respect and dignity as people mostly who come from places that don't believe in Christ so that when we share the gospels with them, we have the right to speak to them. It would look like church events. It would look like capping. It would look like a prayer walk where the whole church shows up because every individual understands that this is not an optional extra that is tacked onto the gospel, but that this is the mission field and this is the church missions initiative right here in our homes and would show up for that full strength. It would look like our Uncle Tommy who shows up week after week after week in Panjuru, the foreign worker dormitory, helping to register patients so that we can see them in a Panjuru clinic. It would look like the young people I know, I don't know if it's some of you who 
volunteer at the community service center at CSC in Theban Gardens to teach young kids, to put them through tuition that they would not be able to afford in any other way. It would look like the young people that I teach in NUS, some of whom I've just found out recently that they, on weekends and on weeknights, they go out to visit the shut-in elderly who are living alone in their HTBs to find out what their needs are, make friends with them, and be with them, and evangelize with them. It would look like LSBC Church, I just found this out last week, that LSBC Church that has got similar work to us, but they do it in Haugang, some of their people have moved into Haugang so that they could incarnationally witness to that community over there. It would look like us, PPH, expecting or, or respecting young people, if they're about to get married and about to f- buy a home, we'd expect them to ask seriously the question, why don't I not decide where I'm going to buy a home based on what's prime property in Singapore, but decide based on what is the poorest community in Singapore? What's the most unreached community in Singapore? Why not buy a home there? Why not move in? Why not join their football team, start up a cell group in one of these HDB estates? What stops us? Why don't we do these kind of things more often? At least in part, I think the reason is because we've forgotten that we're in the mission field. It's because a hundred years ago, if you were in the you know, first brethren church of Minnesota or something in the United States or, or, or UK, you'd be justified in thinking that all the people, the community around you is completely Christian. The missions field is overseas, over in Singapore, in China, or in Indonesia. But us now in 2014, that's not true. We live in the mission field. We can't escape that. The only choice we have is whether we're going to recognize it, remember it, and live like it. And if we did that, we'd be a church not of eight missionaries, but of 800. That's what it would look like. Can I ask Pastor Cheeming to close? A lot for us to ponder, a lot for us to pray, invite the musicians to come forward. And I think God have a message for us. Uh, and I'd like to invite us, I know you'll lead us in a time of prayer. First of all, we want to pray for our missionaries' work there at uh, Indonesia and Timor-Leste. And then we want to pray for ourselves. What it means as we are in the mission field. What it means for you. What it means for me uh, in this particular mission field. So I invite us right now to stand. Let's bow our heads. Let us rise. Before we sing the song, So Send I You... We're going to spend some time in prayer. Shall we just individually just come before the Lord? I'm going to give you some prayer pointers. Where you are, lift your voices, lift your hands to the Lord in prayer. First of all, we want to pray for our work in Indonesia. Remember the street kids that Yuda shared about at Jakarta. Take some time right now just to bless these street kids, their educations. That they have a place to, to learn.
next, I'd like us to pray to Jok Jokata, the mushroom farm, the goat farm in the midst of the Muslim community. That their love will draw the people to search for the truth. for God's protection for this work there. Next, I'd like us to pray for Timor Leste. Remember the boy whose arm that was amputated? Let's bless the boy. Pray for that boy and the mother who's still keen to learn about Christ despite the disaster happened to her son. pray for the old man who worshipped in the past the pole, the God of the pole, and now he has found the true God. Let's pray that this old man God will use to bless the whole community. for that boy with the blue shirt who walked 12 kilometers to the church. Pray that he will find the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He'll find the love of Christ. for the church there at Timor last year that God will protect them they are those who try to harm them but God's protection will be upon them that they will somehow able to bless so called the enemies to pray for yourself just as much as we send missionaries we too are in the mission field I believe the Lord has spoken to you let's come to the Lord and say God remind me again about your love about your heart for the world and about my responsibility here 
in the place where I stay, in the place where I study, in the place where I work, in the community that God, you have placed upon us here at PPH, there at Teban Garden, we have a responsibility. And ask the Lord, Lord, remind me again and say, God, how can I play this role in sharing the right gospel, in living the right gospel, in continually sharing the gospel? Have a moment to talk with the Lord. Lord to bring to your mind two or three individuals that you are in contact on a regular basis that you can pray for them, those that do not know the Lord. It could be your neighbour, it could be your classmate, it could be your client, it could be your boss, it could be your colleague, it could be your students. Yes, pray for them, two or three, pray for them by name, that God will use you as His instrument of love to be a blessing to them. as we close by singing this song recognizing that this is not a song for our missionary only but it's a song for us the Lord is saying that God God is sending us to labor unrewarded the unloved to suffer for him because he loved us because he loved the world and that is singing this song as a reminder for ourselves So send a 
pray together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that, Lord, You came down. You died for each and every one of us. You died for the whole world. And you reach out to us and you showed your love there at Calvary for us. Thank you, Father. Today we can know this love. And we thank you that, Lord, you have also commissioned us to be your representative. To share this love to the people who have yet to know you. Lord, you know many times that, God, we've forgotten this. Many times we we just uh, shelve it aside and we've forgotten. And I pray that today as we reminded us about your love for the whole world, I pray that, Lord, today, let this not be the same again. That when we look at the people that we uh, meet with at our workplace, at our home, at our community, at our school, that, God, we will look at them the way you look at them. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. And I pray that we will be ready to be your representative, ready to be your love for them. That God, we will have your bonus, we have your compassion, we will have your, your courage, Father. 
that we were not like but the disciples said, yes, I'm taking a break. But rather, we will always be on the alert just as Christ is in spreading the love to this Samaritan woman, we too. And I pray, pray that today, Father, help us, help us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thank you.